0: We are actually beginning a new series today, and uh, the series we're beginning is just called New, very simply called New. And uh, the reason that we're calling this um, series New is because if you look in the pages of Scripture, uh, what you see over and over again, you see that there's a declaration of a new relationship with God, or another way of saying that would be a new covenant, a new, a new way in which that relationship works, a new status that we have with God, a new, a new way in which that relationship operates, Right? And, and really, in our culture, when we think about getting something new, we are typically thinking about getting something new because the old thing that we had just isn't something we like anymore, right? So usually when you get a new car, it's not really because you need a new car, it's because you want a new car, right? I mean, usually when you get a new phone, it's not because you need a new phone. I mean, now some of you have dropped your phones and they've shattered, but a lot of times it's just because you'll want the new phone, right? I have a, an orange um, Anorak jacket that's in my, the trunk of my car right now. It's 20 years old, and it's actually perfectly functional, and it you know works great, um, but I got that jacket about 20 years ago. Since then, I've had probably 10 or 12 other jackets, and uh, the only reason that I've gotten them is because I wanted new ones. None of my jackets quit working, with the exception of a raincoat. I had a a, uh, a Marmot Precip Rain Jacket, if you guys are familiar with those. And uh, again, I'm not intending to bust on Marmot products necessarily, but those little Precip Rain Jackets last about a year before the inside waterproofing part starts completely falling off and deteriorating. And so every you know, if you ever wear a dark um, shirt or something underneath one of those jackets, it looks like you have dandruff all over your shoulders because they're literally falling apart. Now, I've replaced, I've gotten new rain jackets a few times because of that thing. When we talk about the idea of new as it pertains to Scripture, as it pertains to theology, as it turns, pertains to our relationship with God, we're talking about the second kind of new. We're talking about the kind of new where uh, God has created a new dynamic, a new relational structure, a new covenant, um, not because he was tired of the old one, but because the old one uh, was never going to work, or it quit working, or it was never intended to work uh, in the beginning. This morning, we're going to start off uh, very simply by talking about this idea of a new covenant a new relationship, but before we do that, let me take a moment and let's pray. Father, I thank you very much um, again for each of the people that are in this room this morning. Father, I thank you that you are at work um, in them. I, I thank you that um, you are at work through them as well, seeing your kingdom come. Father, for those people in this room this morning who do not have a relationship with you, who are still far off, uh, Father, I pray that this morning that this would be an opportunity uh, for them to turn to you to repent of their idolatry, to repent of their um, trying to, to live life on their own and to to be um, who they are apart from you. And, Father, I pray that you would even take this morning to draw these people to yourself. Father, I pray that you would communicate to us not only um, the structure and the content of this new relationship you offer us, but I pray that you would remind us um, of our old relational standing with you as well in all of its fear and all of its insecurity and all of its emptiness. Father, I pray that you would do these things this morning um, for your own honor and glory and for the glory of your son, Jesus. It's in his name that we pray all these things today. Amen. So some of you know that um, I was gone um, uh, for about a week and missed the last two Sundays. Um, My wife, Krista, and I were in the Virgin Islands. And now before you feel like all jealous of me and everything, let me just say this. Uh, It was terrible. You know, the weather was like low 80s, a breeze all the time. The water, like 50-foot visibility, you know. We had to eat things like lobster and steak. It was terrible. Anyway, so don't, you know, whatever. Anyway, it was just kidding. It was great, and I'm not going to publicly thank all the people that made that possible, but um, let me just say it was great. Now, up here on the screen, I've got a picture of Krista and I, and um, the picture, um, that's me, the short person. I guess that's not a big surprise to any of you who know me. Uh, standing next to the, you know, the 10-foot or 11-foot tall uh, statue, bronze statue of Blackbeard, right? There's Blackbeard. And, uh, and behind Blackbeard and me is uh, what's called Blackbeard's um, Tower, Blackbeard's Castle. So while we were in the Virgin Islands on St. Thomas, we got a chance to go to Blackbeard's Castle and got to explore their dungeons beneath, and we got to go up in the top of the castle. Just absolutely uh, really interesting, great history with all the pirates, um, you know, sort of in the early 1700s. Now, it was especially meaningful for me to be able to stand there next to that statue in that place uh, because um, my, I don't know how many greats go in front of his name, but my great, 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 great um, uncle Simon David Hudson was on the crew of Queen Anne's Revenge, which was Blackbeard's boat in the early 1700s. So it was especially meaningful for me to kind of go, hey, my uncle, great, great, great uncle, may have lived and uh, he may have been in the dungeon there. He may have walked around those very grounds, but he definitely was on the ship, the Queen Anne's Revenge. And what happened was that um, there was a battle early in the 1700s, and my great, 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 whatever, Uncle Simon David's boat uh, or ship was taken over by Blackbeard's. And so what they would do is Blackbeard would take the men from that had been the crew of the former vessel, and they would essentially enslave them on his boat, right? And so in my uncle's uh, journal, which is now in a maritime museum down in Pensacola, Florida, my uncle actually chronicled much of his time on Queen Anne's revenge in the presence of Blackbeard, right? And and so some of the things that he had to say in his journal were just fascinating. One of the things that he said is that uh, Blackbeard was an absolute and complete tyrant, right? And, And the way that he was a tyrant is he kept everybody scared of him and fearful all the time. He was an utter and complete perfectionist. And so if you made the slightest mistake, you would either get thrown into the brig at best or the other things that he would do is there were numerous times where my uncle you know, wrote in his journal that people would be forced to walk off the plank. And walking off the plank wasn't a big deal so much because of sharks as much as it was that most of those you know, men that were on those boats didn't know how to swim and so they would just drown. And then there, another piece that he wrote in his journals. he said a lot of times Blackbeard would maroon these um, men who had... Disobeyed or failed in some way on an island, and he'd give him a musket or a pistol, and then he'd give him a pint of rum, and he would basically say, "It's up to you. You can do whatever you want. You can try to swim, in which case most of them would drown, or you can take your own life." But one of the things that my uncle, you know, made it very clear is it was miserable living in the context of slavery with that tyrant Blackbeard. Now, in 1718, also what's recorded in my um, uncle's journal is they were off the coast of South Carolina. As they were off, off the coast of South Carolina, there was a British naval vessel, which was captained by a man named Admiral Atticus Jones, and this big battle ensued, this fight followed, and Atticus Jones defeated um, Blackbeard and his, um, his ship, and what they did is they, they took possession of Queen Anne's revenge, Blackbeard's ship, and so Admiral Jones was on the deck of the ship, and they said that instead of killing Blackbeard, they actually um, tied him to the mast, as, you know, to make an example of him and to make an example of all pirates, and one of the things that my uncle wrote in the boat is he said, you know, this new admiral, Admiral Jones, was everything uh, different and everything opposite of, uh, of Blackbeard. He was kind. He treated the men fairly. He was equitable. He encouraged them. He was gracious. He was merciful. All of these things. And what he said that was interesting, though, in his journal was he said that they, as they tied Blackbeard to the mast and kept him there for, you know, several days, he said there were any number of different times where Blackbeard would yell out orders and yell out instructions to his old crew that were on the boat. And he said, often the men would drop what they were doing and they would obey the orders of Blackbeard, their old captains. Does that make sense? Their old relationship. They would just forget and fall back into that old relationship, even though they had been given this new relationship with a gracious and merciful admiral. Does that make sense? Now, here's what's interesting. The interesting thing about that story is it's not true, first of all. I totally made that up. Okay, so you need to hear that right now. But it was a good story. Um, <laughs> so I do not... I don't have an uncle that was ever on a pirate boat that I know of anyway, and Blackbeard actually got killed, whatever, somewhere, anyway, whatever, so that's all a lie, but the reason it's important is because part of what's being described in Scripture is that uh, we, had, we had an old relationship with God, and that old relationship with God was marked by fear, and it was marked by insecurity. And, uh, and it was marked by a need to be perfect, right? And it was a relationship that was never, ever going to work. In fact, the law was given in order to show us just how much we couldn't maintain that relationship based upon our own obedience. In fact, the new covenant or this new relationship, the whole, the whole story, the whole message, the whole truth of this new relationship is it's based completely on God's mercy and on God's grace and particularly on the blood of his son, Jesus Christ Christ. But our tendency as human beings, just like those men who uh, were former um, crew members of Blackbeard, our tendency, believe it or not, is actually to go back to that old dynamic with God where we try to earn his affection, that old dynamic where we're fearful, that old dynamic where we're scared. And part of what is happening in Scripture throughout all of the New Testament in particular and even the Old Testament pointing towards this new relationship, what's being communicated over and over and over again That in in this new relationship we can have peace, that we've been brought back into a relationship with God, that He gives us mercy and He gives us grace. Jesus reminds us both of this old covenant or old relationship and this new covenant and new relationship every time we take the Lord's Supper, just like we're going to do in a little while here this morning. Listen to the words of 1 Corinthians 11. They say this The Lord Jesus, on the night He was betrayed, took bread, and when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, This is my body which is for you, do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now, what is Jesus doing in the Lord's supper? What is he communicating? Well, he's communicating lots of things, but I'm gonna focus on two things this morning. The first thing is this, that in the Lord's Supper, Jesus is inviting us to remember our old standing or our old relationship with God. Let me say that one more time. In the Lord's Supper, Jesus is inviting us to remember our old standing, our old relationship, that old covenant with God. Listen to the words of Genesis chapter 3, verses 8 through 10. And this will paint a picture of what that old relationship with God was like, particularly after we fell. It should be up on the screen in a moment. So Genesis chapter 3 says this. It says, They heard, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. I hid myself. And so the very thing that we see, this relational structure, this old relational structure that we used to exist in with God was one where we are afraid of him, right? We're afraid. It's not only that we're afraid, but we're also ashamed, right? And so we see that Adam and Eve tried to cover themselves. We do the same thing in a thousand different ways. We build a counterfeit false self because we are ashamed of who we really are. And then finally, what we see also in this passage is that Adam and Eve are hiding not only from God, but they hide from one another. And the same thing is true for us today. In that old covenant, in that old relationship with God, we're afraid, we're ashamed, and we're hiding not only from God, but we're hiding from one another. That doesn't sound very, very good, does it? doesn't sound very happy. doesn't sound very peaceful. Listen to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 continues to talk about this old relationship with God. It says this, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. Right? And so what we see here again is that a picture is being painted of this old relationship with god when we were separated from him we were we were dead to him right we were following the prince of the power of the air and this is talking about satan and the prince of the power of the air means this invisible realm right that you can't see by nature children of wrath in other words we were living in opposition to god we were basically saying we're going to do it our way we're going to make the rules for ourselves and we ended up hollow lonely empty dead again fearful ephesians 2 verses 1 through Three. That sounds miserable, sounds sad. Let's continue looking in Ephesians chapter 2, starting at verse 12. Paul, again, talking about this old relationship with God. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Again, listen to the marks of that old relationship separated from Christ, strangers to a relationship with God, without hope. You were far away from God, right? So, hopefully, what's happened is I've read all of those things from Genesis chapter 3, from Ephesians chapter 2. I could go into any number of different parts of the Bible that talk about this old relationship, this old structure, this old relational dynamic you had. With God, And hopefully what happens when you hear those verses is that you're reminded of what life was like when you were apart from Christ, right? Hopefully you can actually remember those days where you were fearful, right? You were fearful of God because to you God was just a judge in the sky waiting to, uh, to proclaim judgment of guilty upon you. And you know, if some of you, when you read those verses and hear those verses, you remember what it was like to be far away from him... And you felt scared. You felt like you were living in darkness. You felt hollow. You felt empty. Hopefully, some of you, when I read those verses, remember the uh, the fear. You remember the loneliness. Hopefully, some of you remember what it, how exhausting it was to hide from God. How exhausting it was, maybe, to even try to maintain the demands of the law. And hopefully, you hear the words and the descriptions of that old relational structure with God, that old relationship with him. And hopefully what happens is you go, I never want to go back there again. I don't ever want to go back there again. But like that opening illustration made clear, we actually do unfortunately end up going back there again over and over and over again. It's almost our default mode. But what Jesus is doing in the Lord's Supper is he's inviting you to actually remember what it felt like, what that darkness felt like. In the new covenant or in the the Lord's Supper, He's also going further, and he's also inviting us to remember not only our old relationship with God, but he's inviting us to remember our new relationship with God, our new standing with him. Listen to these verses, also taken from Ephesians 2. Beginning at verse 4, says this, But God, being rich in mercy, mercy is where you don't get what you deserve, right? You do not get what you deserve, I don't. I could be alone, but I think there are lots of us that could use a little mercy, right? But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins before we got right, there's no getting right apart from Christ, made us alive together with Christ by grace, right? By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Part of this idea of all of these things is that we're seated with Christ because his work is done, and we get to sit with him because our work is done as well, because all we have to do is trust in Christ as our Savior. and We're declared righteous, past, present, and future forevermore. Listen again to some of the concepts that were thrown out there in Ephesians 2 about this new relational structure. Mercy, we're not given what we deserve. Grace, we are given what we do not deserve, right? Righteousness, a declaration of not guilty. Uh, It says that he loved us, right? I mean, I can't begin to tell you how often I doubt that God loves me. I think that he's agreed with Jesus to forgive me, and he's like, well, I made that agreement with Jesus that if he died on the cross that I would forgive these people. But I very seldom believe that God loves me. But what Paul says is here is he says, because of the great love with which he loved us. Some of you today need to hear that not only has God forgiven you, but that he loves you, right? Ephesians 2 goes on to say that we've been raised up with him and, and we've been seated with him. And that it ends by talking about the kindness of God, the kindness of of God towards us in Jesus. I mean, how many of you envision God as a kind God? And yet here, like a kind father or a kind mother, we see that God has expressed his kindness to you and to me through his son. Let's keep looking at Ephesians 2, beginning at verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our Peace. We don't make peace with God. God makes peace with us through his son, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. In other words, there's no more anger. God's not mad at you anymore. There's no hostility if you've trusted in Christ. By abolishing the law of the commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near for through him. We both have access in one spirit to the father. So then you who are no longer strangers and aliens, but you who are fellow, fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, right? You see the big difference between that old relationship and this new relationship? In this new relationship, you've been brought near to God, right? He, he's not a God who is far, far away. Although he is transcendent, he at the same time is imminent in a very real and personal way. He, he's a God who offers us peace, right? If, if by nature we were objects of wrath, if apart from God, because of our sin, we were far, far away from him and we were in hostility to him, then all of a sudden now we have true peace with him. He's abolished the law, right? No longer do you have to keep the law perfectly in order to have that relationship with him. You could have never done it anyway, but Christ actually obeyed the law perfectly on your behalf. You're a new man. You're a new woman, right? That's part of this new relationship is that God has made and is making you new. You've been reconciled to God. There's no more hostility between you and him. You now have access to God, right? You don't have to get your stuff right first before you pray to him. You are right simply because of Jesus, right? That's the new covenant. It's the new relationship. You've been adopted as daughters and sons of God, right? Just hear all of those words. And hopefully, in the same way that you heard the scripture that talked about that old relational standing with God, hopefully that when you hear these new scriptures that talk about this new relational standing with him... Part of what I hope is happening to you is that you're being reminded that you are daughters and sons of God, that you are loved by God, that he looks upon you not with anger or judgment, but he looks upon you with kindness, right? You need to hear the different aspects of this new relationship with him. And this morning, we're going to take the Lord's Supper. And in the Lord's Supper, Jesus is inviting you, he's inviting me to remember not only that old relational standing with him, but he's inviting us to remember this new relational standing with him precisely because we forget, right? We forget, we forget, we forget. That old captain starts yelling out orders and we obey. That old captain starts telling us that God hates us and we believe him. That old captain starts screaming at us that we have to be perfect and we forget that Jesus was already perfect in our place. We forget, we forget, we forget. In 1986, there was a man named Walter McMillian. I think we have a picture of him up on the screen in a minute. But uh, Walter was convicted of murder in 1986 for a murder that was committed in Monroeville, Alabama. It was on a laundromat. And uh, there was um, a young lady who was murdered there. And uh, what was interesting is that uh, Walter McMillian was convicted in a heartbeat. And what was interesting about particularly his conviction is that there were um, any number of different eyewitnesses that said, he was nowhere near that laundromat. He was at a church fish fry and cookout, and we can confirm it. All of us can. And yet he was convicted anyway on uh, a couple other eyewitnesses who said, no, we're pretty sure that it was him in that laundromat. It just so happened that uh, the people at the fish fry were African-American and the people that uh, convicted him were Anglo. Um, that's not to the point. The point is that uh, he was on death row for eight years, and uh, all the while he was proclaiming his innocence. And he was trying to get off of death row. He had people that were fighting for him, but uh, to no avail. And so while he was on death row, he saw any number of different people um, punished uh, via capital punishment because of their crimes, right? Any number of different times, he almost was, um, was, uh, was killed. And any number of different times, there was someone or something that was filed that, that stayed his judgment. Well, at some point in time, there was a lawyer named Brian Stevenson. And Brian Stevenson, in 1993, read up on this case, and he said, this is crazy, right? This is insane. There are twice as many witnesses that say that he was at this fish fry. This guy can't be guilty. And so in 1993, he actually took up this case again. Here's a quote from this man, Brian Stevenson, this lawyer. He says this, it was a pretty clear situation where everyone just wanted to forget about this man, Walter, to let him get executed so everybody could just move on. There was a lot of passion, a lot of anger in the community about this young lady's death, and I think there was a great resistance to someone coming in and fighting for the condemned person who had been accused and convicted, right? Does that make sense? In other words, this lawyer said, This really this case is pretty clear. This guy's innocent, but he's about ready to be killed. And so Brian Stevenson got involved in this case, and sure enough, Walter McMillian was exonerated. He was declared not guilty, right? And so he was released from death row. He was Back into life again as a 46-year-old man, he, he began to live his life of freedom. But shortly after being released, he began to show the signs of early-onset dementia. And as a, very early on in the, the, the latter part of his 40s, he got to the point where he had to be hospitalized because his dementia was so severe. And as I read about this article, there's an article about it in the New York Times. They talked about the doctors that they've interviewed have basically said you can have early-onset uh, dementia because of trauma. And so what these doctors, various doctors have said is we think the reason that Walter McMillian has this early onset dementia is because of all the fear and all of the trauma of being an innocent man who watched these people die and who thought he was going to die himself. And so what was interesting is Brian Stevenson in this article talks about going to visit Walter McMillian. And when he would go visit him in the hospital, when he would go visit him at the home, every time it was the same thing. Walter would say, and I quote, he said, you got to get me off death row you got to get me out of here. you got to get me off death row. Even though he was no longer in prison, even though he was no longer on death row, he had forgotten that he was a free man in his dementia, and he kept pleading with Brian Stevenson to get him off of death row to set him free. Does that make sense? Now, the reason I mention this is because the reason that we offer the Lord's Supper, the reason that Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper is to invite you to remember not only your old relationship with God, but in particular to remember your new relationship with God, that you are clean, that you're innocent, that you've been declared righteous, that God's no longer angry with you. And the reason that we celebrate the Lord's Supper over and over and over again is because we forget over and over and over again. We all have spiritual dementia. Does that make sense? So this morning, in just a moment, I'm going to read uh, the words of institution that, that, that Jesus gave us before we give and, and celebrate this Lord's Supper together, this family meal together. And let me simply say this, is this meal, this family meal is really only for those of us, those of you who trust in Christ completely as your salvation, that it's his perfect life, his perfect, perfect death, his perfect resurrection, that that's, that's your hope. That's the new relationship. The whole new relationship is in Christ, right? So for those of you who haven't come to that point yet this morning, I would simply ask you to sit back as the people of God celebrate this family meal together, whereby they declare not only their freedom from this old relationship with God, but their status in this new relationship with God as daughters and sons of God who have been forgiven by him. I'm going to read the words of institution, and after you've had some time to simply think and some time to pray, I'm going to ask you to get up and and you can take bread and dip it into the wine, which is on my right, or to dip it into the grape juice, which is on my left, and in the, the uh, upper portion, there's grape juice as well. Um, but if there are some of you who have not yet come to this point of trusting in Christ alone as your Savior, and you don't feel like it would be honest for you to take the Lord's Supper, this family meal, um, I actually put a little prayer on the screen that I'd love for you to simply read through and, and to ponder and to think about. At this point, I'm going to read uh, the words of institution. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's take a moment and pray. Father, I pray that... um, As we have heard Jesus inviting us to remember that our hope and that our strength and that our trust and that our surety and that our confidence would not be in um, our record or our performance, but rather that our strength and our hope and our security and our confidence would would be precisely because we have no confidence in ourselves and that all of our confidence is in your son, Jesus, who gave his life um, as a perfect sacrifice to save us from our sins, um, in order that we might be adopted, that we might be your daughters and your sons, in order that you might now in this new relationship look upon us with love and kindness and mercy and grace. Father, let this meal um, remind not only our minds but our hearts of this new relationship that we have with you through your precious son, Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.